Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Center Stand, the podcast for the motorcycle industry. There are no other podcasts as far as my mom is concerned. This is the only one she ever listens to. So you've got Robert Pandy here. I appreciate you listening to Center Stand. Um, this is our ninth episode this season, and we've got a, a really good one. You know, we've been talking in the past a uh, few episodes, the main theme has been like attracting new riders. That's what we've been wanting to do through the entire course of the thing and different ways of doing that. Um, we've talked about youth ridership. We've talked about uh, increasing female ridership. We talked about uh, just the last episode, we talked about how rental programs um, can attract more riders and more sales. But the underlying theme of all of this is rider education. That's that's the main thing. That's that's step number one. So our episode nine of Center Stand is going to focus on the key components of the new rider ecosystem, uh, motorcycle training schools, and how motorcycle dealerships are incorporating them, and how they can better work together to funnel new riders into power sports and into motorcycling. I'm going to welcome our two guests, Charlie Fernandez, general manager of the Academy of Motorcycle Operation, Southern California, and a man I've known for almost two decades, I think, uh, Bill Nation, dealer principal at Pro Italia Motorcycles. So for those of you who need multiple inputs and you can't handle just listening, you have to look, you can log into amosocal.com and proitalia.com while we dig in. Gentlemen, welcome. Hello. How you doing? Hello. All right. So that proves Hello. we have two di- we have two different humans on the line. That's good. So we're going to start out with Charlie. Uh, Charlie. Uh, uh, Charlie Fernandez, AMO SoCal. Yeah. Give us a uh, kind of a little background uh, into your personal bra- background in power sports, uh, and then tell us what AMO is all about. Okay. So my introduction probably started uh, back with MSF. As their general manager about uh, 2003, I was uh, uh, responsible for trying to pull the organization together. So I helped set up the business systems and operations. At the same time, we were looking at uh, setting up a vast array of training courses for the different providers throughout the United States for both uh, current and prospective riders. One of the key things I'm really happy with that I did there was to be a key driver with the motorcycle the military sport bike rider course, MSRC, as it's known to the military. Working with the Navy first, uh, when they first implemented it, they saw as much as a 70% drop in fatalities. And that was huge at the time because many of the uh, servicemen were coming back and uh, they basically told me that more were dying on the roads in the United States than they were in the streets of Iraq. Mm. And uh, later on, we were able to uh, implement that for the uh, civilian usage, uh, known as the uh, MSF Advanced Rider course. After that, about 2000, I say about 2010, I uh, opened up a facility in uh, Pasadena under the uh, CMSP, CHP program. And uh, we started first uh, at one of the uh, high schools in, uh, long, in uh, the um, Pasadena area. Then about the end of that year, we uh, started the Altadena location. Since then, we've had some other sites. Uh, one of the big ones, of course, was in Glendale, working with Glendale Harley Davidson for a while. Also, we brought in uh, pretty close to almost 25,000 riders trained over that period of time. 
25 thousand that that's awesome so so do, is amo uh like are you a competitor to mfs msf schools or is there an integration there how does how does that work so the way the uh, cmsp california motorcyclist safety program works is that the chp is responsible for training in california and they set up the cmsp program but they outsource that through a general contractor that bids for about a five-year contract and in the beginning it was uh, msf and we ran the brc mm -hmm. then uh, around 2015 it uh, went to total control and the chp then adopted a different course that they used um, so we're a subcontractor of the general mm -hmm. and we work uh, under the uh, under the guidance and under the policies and directives of the CHP, along with the uh, general contractor. We're going to go to Bill Nation. Bill, as I said, I've known Bill for um, a couple decades now. Bill is um, the dealer principal at Pro Italia. Bill and I first met when I was the PR manager for Aprilia, and I had to kiss his butt because I needed some celebrity <laughs> to get on a motorcycle or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my God, the only guy that can help us is this super high-maintenance guy in Glendale. So. <laughs> So anyway, Bill, uh, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, give us a little bit of your background in power sports and what it's like to own the dealership of the stars in Glendale. <laughs> well, some days it's totally awesome. And some <laughs> days, some days, it's, well, you wouldn't want to be here. <laughs> it's, uh, as my wife says, you have the job all men would envy. I said, yeah, you know, a lot of, it is, it is. Some days it is. Um, so a little background about us. Um, I was just a guy that really, really, really liked motorcycles. And uh, in the University of Tennessee, I hooked up with two guys who were making a film and they were using a motorcycle anyway. Anyway, I got involved with them. We all moved to California eventually. One guy is a, uh, is a very accomplished editor um, producing the music videos. The other guy's a writer. And we got approached to open up a dealership because the Ducati dealership that we were uh, that we used to go to Woods Motors was going out of biz. Mm. And the idea was, well, we'll just start a little hobby shop so we can make billet. And we know where that went. You couldn't have a dealership unless you, you couldn't get parts, couldn't have a license, blah, blah. So 33 years later, I'm here. Um, myself, I was working as a photographer as a photojournalist, which is what brought me to California. I went to Art Center College. And uh, from there, I worked for 25 years. And I think, Robert, you had a you had a career in photography, too. I, I did. I did. Yeah. I did, indeed. Yeah. Um, you know, I took a lot of pictures of, like, cats and tombstones. You know, and I, <laughs> so that, I have a... No, I, I did a lot of stage production stuff. And, um, okay. yeah, it was great. So you and I always clicked. Oh, no pun intended. Oh, yeah. did you catch that, kids? Yeah, I got um, it. Yeah, yeah. We always uh, kind of had that connection through photography. Uh, and um, uh, what what brands are at Pro Italia these days? What do you cover? Uh, we do Ducati which uh, Ducati's our major uh, new manufacturer, Aprilia, Moto Guzzi, MV Agusta. Uh, two years ago, we added Royal Enfield, and we became an Energeek dealer uh, within the last couple of months, the electric motorcycles. Uh, mm. through the, between all this time, we've had numerous other brands come and go, but we really found that we got to stick with our roots, which are Italian bikes at the end of the day. 
Uh, we had some other brands and it just didn't quite, it was kind of a hard presentation, let's say, to the yeah. public. And we found we were competing against ourselves within the same dealership. Uh, and used bikes are about a half our business. All right, Charlie, uh, in your previous work with Motorcycle Safety Foundation, can you talk to us through like the the the, the changes in the program, like sort of your maybe what some of your early assumptions in training were uh, and then how motorcycle training has changed in your experience? Well, I think well, when I came into MSF, they had just uh, started with the uh, basic writer course, they made a change from their previous course and were really driving that through the country. There were a couple of states that did not adopt it for different reasons. And my role was to try to uh, try to see what we could do to accommodate some of the specific needs that they had. But the course was directed at uh, the novice writer and uh, MSF actually worked with NHTSA probably I'd say, I'm trying to remember here, it was probably about 2004 with the Discovery Project. And that was actually pretty interesting because they were basically taking uh, what the military had done in trying to uh, get riders to come back for additional training. I think MSF realized that uh, one class is not an inoculation to safety when it comes mm -hmm. to motorcycle riding. So they basically offered a couple of classes, uh, paying the riders to go ahead and come in and uh, seeing what they could do to uh, track that and see how well uh, it worked against a control group that only received the course one time. That gave in to uh, another event at NSF that I was really pleased to be part of, and that was when they developed the uh, military sport bike rider course. Uh, the Navy was really pushing that one because, as I said earlier, there were uh, more fatalities on the road. Uh, for the service personnel coming back than there was in the in the uh, combat area. So they developed a course that was uh, very specific to the riders. And uh, that was the beginning in the military of realizing that uh, the basic course was not enough, regardless of. So, uh, so how have, sorry to interrupt, but, but I want to, I want to drill in. How have, how have like the actual training tech, like how have things changed on the range? How, you know, is it, is it, is it, refinement of the same thing or was there any sort of significant shift to address like different ways people learn these days well today we're looking at uh, now using the total uh, total control curriculum with the chp that uh, they adopted in 2015 in that particular case we've seen a significant drop in the trend from uh, the previous years of about uh, 12 percent increase of fatalities in california to a negative uh, 1% uh, in fatalities, um, mm. e equaling quite a few lives when you think about that. What's yeah. the difference? Well, the difference was uh, in, in a number of areas. One, I think it was very important for Total Control when they came in to really work on the level of coaching skills. We were given uh, additional uh, tips and ways to identify writer shortcomings and how to address those. Uh, very specifically, as opposed to a general statement, and uh, it helped each writer be able to, as I say, it's a it's a course with multiple people, but it's really a one-on-one -on -one course when it comes to you and the feedback that we give you. So that was a big plus, in addition to really, really driving them to take additional courses. So one was the quality of, of coaching provided, 
Another was the actual course. Uh, there was more riding time for the riders. Uh, you can't learn to ride if you don't get on a motorcycle and actually mm-hmm. ride. So uh, instructors were basically um, given a lot of tips on how to, uh, let's say, for example, you're coming to a coaching point. We'd spend maybe uh, three seconds on giving you one item to look at and then get you back out there to do that. Once you got that, then we go down the list of what to coach in the next point. So mm-hmm. it was very specific, very directed, and more writing time. Uh, those are probably uh, two of the biggest things that I think helped the writers. So, Bill, bouncing back to you, my friend, um, does uh, do you think that like ridership begats the education, like people wanting to ride, seek out education, or do you think the education creates riders? What have you seen at the dealer level? Well, we get them when they're actually shopping. You know, yeah. one of the things first that you do is you qualify a person when they come in and you ask them, do you have a motorcycle? You know, sometimes the answer is no, but I've been riding my friends. Uh, you kind of like quickly, like yeah, you get some riding skills. It's also some ways though, this getting, uh, getting the, getting a license and getting permitted has become a lot more important because the finance companies we're using about the, the main three or four we use, half of them require a motorcycle license. Now they're not mm-hmm. doing any more of this, just, uh, don't have to have a license to get a, to get a loan. Um, so I'd say that it's, I guess they're taking, well, people come in, I say the guy that doesn't have a license, the guy, the woman doesn't have a license. They start shopping around bikes. We got to say, go take the class. And then you're going to have a better idea of what you want to get when you come back. That's mm-hmm. so it is, it helps sell. I mean, the educated riders are buying the people that are kind of maybe thinking about getting a motorcycle. We don't see them come back as much. Mm. So, mm. The it, ones does who just got... it does drive sales. I would say it does. That's interesting. Yeah. So the, uh, um, I, you know, I make this parallel and sometimes, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten some kickback on it, but, uh, in, um, uh, the handgun industry, for instance, uh, uh, training is a key part of that conversation. Um, anytime anybody new goes in or whatever, I mean, like one of the first things people start talking about is training, whether or not, wherever your, your stance is on, on, on guns, the training part of it is like a key part of it. Do you feel like that emphasis on training is strong enough? Um, does that come from the OEMs or is that bill, is that something that's just driven by a dealer principal or, you know, where does, where does training fit in, in the overall industry in your perspective? I don't see it as, I don't see anything clear. Mm. Uh, the brands we sell typically traditionally very expensive, more expensive motorcycles. There was no talk of any kind, no talk of training. I think Harley seems like they do a much better job with it. Mm-hmm. At least the dealers around here, they have bikes in their, uh, in their fleet. So yeah, I would say it's mixed. I mean, as a dealer, we, we emphasize it. I don't think a lot of other dealers do. It's right. kind of more of a commerce choice. I think for them, it's more of a philosophy and, you know, so what if you don't have a license, we're going to make a sale and he'll learn, he'll sort it out. <laughs> Yeah, um, he I might not have, yeah, they might not have a license, but they might have a pulse, right? So that's yeah, and they've a, got and they've right. got a, they've got a, they've got a clear credit. So I don't think long term. I mean, you want your customers, you want customers for life, and you want your customers to live. So you want to get them on the right bike to start with, and uh, you want to keep them coming back. So, so Charlie, you've been involved on the Harley Davidson side of training, correct? Can you can you speak a little bit to that integration of how training and sales are are critical? Uh, with that relationship? 
Well, I think with Harley, it's specific, they're specific to one brand, but in general, I think Bill said quite a few things about just what's happening in the industry. Um, in previous years, we saw about only a third of all of the riders actually get training in California. That meant two-third riders either learned on their own or from Uncle Billy on the street someplace. Um, and uh, when you take a look at the fatalities as high as they were, it makes you wonder just, you know, what uh, what could be done. More recently, though, I think under COVID, we're seeing a real change where because people are locked up and they're not doing much uh, and they're looking for an out, uh, some of the sites in California are able to continue operating if they don't, if they're not on a college campus or they're not on a, uh, a venue where it's closed, we're open. Uh, and we're seeing a lot more training than we've ever seen from people that, uh, you know, they may have it on a bucket list. So coming back around is training, bringing more riders uh, to the, uh, to the, the sales side or do more, more students go into training from the, uh, from the sales side. Um, right now, I'd say the numbers are probably looking at a shift because of that. Yeah. Um, I think Bill's right. I don't see, I haven't seen a whole lot other than from Harley uh, with emphasis you know, on training. Although over in the Colton area of California, uh, the Honda Training Center has long been an advocate of training, not just street, but also dirt bike and uh, ATV training. So they have a, a completely dedicated facility for that. So Honda has been very good about that as well. But those are the only two that I see that are really driving training as a, as an OE um, industry in the industry. Bill, the Ducati outside of the, the Scrambler 400, which is that still in the lineup even? Uh, no, that bike was quietly disappeared. It was yeah, frankly, yeah. It was so, too expensive and the seat height was the same as the 800 CC. Right. Right. Um, so, I mean, that was as close as it got to a sort of a straight up beginner bike, uh, on yes. the, on the Italian side of things, but you also have Royal Enfield, you said, right? Yes. And and so, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, so, so, uh, you know, everybody listening here is a motorcycle fan and you understand that Royal Enfield has been around for a long time, but Brie and her marketing team, they've, they've really, uh, uh, embraced, the fact that they have a lot of 100% new riders coming in. So is Royal Enfields, are they different in that in that mindset? Well, I think, well, what we like about Enfield is, is it's the price point's awesome. So I'm seeing people I've never seen coming to my showroom before. Mm -hmm. they don't, a lot of people don't are very reticent to buy a used bike. Uh, so Enfield's been really good at bringing new people in. The bikes retail at, start at $5,700. Uh, they're still kind of tall, a little heavy, but they've been really good that way. I'd love to see them get more involved in, uh, in some rider training. And they just introduced, they are introducing a 350 that mm -hmm. I just read the other day. That would be good too to have. That would be great yeah. for the rider courses. Yeah, that 350 Meteor looks like an interesting little uh, yeah. little cruiser, super lightweight and, and mm -hmm. everything. So you're saying that even Royal Enfield's a brand that focuses in as much on experienced riders who who just want a fun toy, but but are because of price point, they're going to draw new riders, but they could possibly step up and, and do a little bit more on the rider education side. Is that right? Yeah, it seems like they're, um, they're still, they're pretty bare bones as far as a manufacturer. There's no programs. There's never any rebates, which is awesome, but they don't, they're not ready yet. It doesn't seem to go in and start, they could, but to start doing some sponsoring of, of some rider safety classes with providing motorcycles and such. But Charlie knows more about getting the sourcing bikes for a dealer. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So Charlie, talk to us a little bit about like where you think the industry, the broader industry could, you know, uh, uh, push a, a training message. Is that something that's out there that, that just hasn't had time to germinate enough yet? Or is that a, a, a space that just really needs attention? And how would we go about doing that? Oh, I think it needs a lot of attention. We, um, back in 2010, when we started, we bought an entire fleet of Kawasaki Eliminator 125s. Mm. Uh, from a business standpoint, it was a good decision because you have one bike, you can can the bikes, parts if you need them. You got one part, so you're not looking at a lot of different bikes with a lot of different parts. So it was a good business decision. But beyond that, we found that with the uh, small, uh, with the lower seat height, uh, and even for tall riders, by turning up the handlebars, we were able to get them into a, a comfortable riding position. We've had some riders uh, up over 6'5", still have no problems with that bike. What's the point of this? Is that a bike with a small CC like that allows the rider to be able to focus on the techniques that we're teaching and what they need to learn. Uh, you get a big bike like a 500cc bike as a training bike. You know, there is going to be pretty uh, easy for a rider to get spooked once they uh, grab a handful of throttle and uh, and take off. Then you you pretty much lose them at that point, and they either have to come back for more training. So we need a good uh, training bike. You know, Honda had the uh, the Rebel. Uh, that was a good bike, uh, but the CCs have gone up on that one as well. So, but that's, that's, you know, I I'm mean, always, you're, you're, Charlie, you're hitting in on, on sort of the technical specifications of the bike. I'm wondering, is there some, from a messaging standpoint, that seems to be, it's not, you know, not, someone's not going to come train just because, just because it's a small motorcycle, right? They need that catalyst action to, to push them into training. And so, um, my theory here that I'm working on is that as an industry, we could do a far better job of pushing, um, you know, uh, train, ride, train kind of messaging, right? Do you agree? Yes, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, we, we try to work with some of the dealers that we work with in uh, providing incentives to the riders uh, when they come in, uh, you know, to buy a bike. Obviously, you want to make sure they have a they have a, a motorcycle license and if they don't then uh, there's plenty of local schools that uh, dealers can work with to partner up and get them trained and get them on the bike i mean the idea for a dealer in my mind would be and i think uh, bill bill would agree with this is that you want somebody that's going to have a long-term relationship with you not just a quick sale and so to do that particularly on a motorcycle you don't want to oversell the bike in other words you're not going to take a novice rider and put them on a higher end cc power bike when they're not ready for it. Um, that's, that's something that's really important that needs to happen, I think, in a relationship between the dealer and the local training sites. So totally agree with you. Yeah. So, I, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, just quick. Uh, I've, I've taken a couple of times. I've taken Nick Einatch's uh, champion school. And one thing he quotes in it, he says, you know, people, these guys, they come in dealerships, they buy more motorcycle than they have should have. They fall off once, maybe they don't get hurt, they fall off a second time, and their family is saying, you need to get rid of that. But that that's mm -hmm. the challenge, too. From That's the big thing of training. And there's the training, where we want new riders, but there's education further on, which I think really fosters keeping people interested in the sport, too. Because a lot of, you know, let's face life, you're a motorcyclist, you're a bit of a, a loner at times, and the schools are great for uh, getting you back into the, getting back into bonding and, and treating as a real sport. So, Bill, I don't you know, want to put I, you, I, I don't, if, yeah, please, Charlie, go ahead. 
if you can, if I could uh, add in on this, you know, if you take a look at some of the high risk endeavors, uh, the military, uh, you know, you're dealing with an entry level infantry or you're dealing with spec ops, uh, fire training, uh, police training, you know, they all have different levels of, of people that they use and they never put those, put them in those high, higher risk positions without training. So they are driving training. And if we were all in one, one complete organization where we, where we could drive that, um, I think that we probably would have an impact on fatalities and on understanding training. We really need to change the culture. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, to me, it's something that needs to be, um, I mean, it's almost like it needs to be on the welcome mat at every single dealership when you, you know, when you come in. Right. And, uh, yeah, I so agree. I agree. That's, you know, that uh, we did, uh, a reserve tank uh, podcast with Nick, uh, and one of those emphasis was on um, the fact that the best riders in the world still seek out training. They can all they always feel like they can learn, and uh, and I think that that's something that uh, that as an industry we've kind of failed that sense of uh, education is not because you're dumb; it's because you want to be better. Right. Yep. And uh, yep. and I think that that's one of the messages that that I hope we can all work on uh, there. Uh, Bill, I want to um, uh, coming back to you on, you know, I'm not trying to put Charlie or your yours and Charlie's relationship on the spot here. But what have you seen schools work with dealers? I mean, do you get collateral not just from Charlie school, but from other schools that you've worked with? Or is this is this a relationship where they're sort of siloed? They do their thing, you do your thing? Or is there more more and more integration happening now? Well, we get we get some from Charlie's school. But I'll say that the, the Russ Brown lawyers, they're really good at maintaining a relationship with us like it or not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. They're coming in here with pizzas, not that I'm done being flip about it but no we don't have a real strong relationship with the schools and uh but it works both ways we haven't reached out to it we have some flyers here but uh i would say pretty much nobody in my dealership uh knows a face to put with one of the schools and they're you know mm -hmm. I'm, i do but i'm one person here mm -hmm. and that's so yeah. that's something that if if so basically what i'm boiling to is the uh uh, if schools, if a local area school and a local area dealership doesn't have a solid relationship where they're trading information back and forth or they're co-marketing together, that seems like just a, a major missed opportunity. It's a waste. Yeah, it's a miss. And we've talked before. Yeah. And I mean, I should be over there when you're doing a class, I guess. I mean, I, I think there, well, I'm not sure what what you can and can't promote, but I mean, I'd love to be over there one day when they're doing training or say hello and shake hands but maybe that's you know just throwing that out there that'd be ideal for us yeah we had uh some really strong relationships with other multiple dealers that had uh smaller bikes for example we have a most of our riders a good 85 percent of them are novice riders so yes. when we're looking when they're looking at bikes they're looking at the uh, small hondas the small yamahas uh, you know, the Groms, the, uh, the, uh, yeah. many of those lower CC bikes that are frankly 500 CC and below, mm -hmm. uh, when they go to some of the mega dealers, however, uh, we find that the mega dealers basically said, you're going to grow out of that small bike. Mm 
mm-hmm. real quickly. And so you might as well go ahead and get this big one. Yeah. And uh, we don't work with those dealers uh, because uh, <laughs> of the fact that they basically are, are overselling a bike. They're taking, right. uh, you know, uh, somebody who just received a new pilot's license and putting them in, in a twin engine that they have no business in. So Correct. Um, we, we had worked with uh, a number of dealers on that basis to try to get them, uh, get your riders started. So if you will, that's probably one of the, uh, one of the things that we see, um, where we can work with bill would be in the advanced training courses. Uh, I think everybody knows about the, uh, total control intermediate riding course, their advanced rider course. Uh, they have two levels of that. That's, uh, that's probably where we could, uh, where we could do, um, a little more work. We don't have the site, but we can sure send them to San Bernardino or some of the other locations that have more sure. real estate and do offer those courses. I like that. Yeah, and I think once we say because of the product we sell and the size of bikes, I mean, it's kind of not it's understandable. We don't have a real tight relationship with the school. But as we get if say this infield does come through and it's priced right, we would be we would really be liking to to get a tighter association with. To, to grow, to get a, you know, grow some customers. I would say yeah. that also there's opportunities, Bill, certainly you've got more experience, uh, you know, broadly speaking, you've got more experienced people coming into your dealership, but those are also the people who are recording or recruiting new riders, right? They're, yes. they're talking their buddy into riding. They're yes. talking, you know, their, their, uh, their nephew into riding and, you know, or that kind of thing and, and bringing those friends in, um, you know, we can, we can, beat the nail of how motorcycling is a community uh, over and over again. But if we don't actually treat it like that and create these training opportunities as just sort of part of the language of every dealer experience, then, um, you know, then it, it doesn't become one of those pillars that we all need. And to your, I want to, I really would like to um, talk to you, Bill, about how you, you had mentioned how um, some finance companies won't take on a client unless they have uh, an M endorsement already. Yes. Um, is that something that you think is going to continue well, to fundamentally change? I just bought a car recently and nobody asked to see my driver's license. Well, right? Here's the background on that. Uh, we had, there were guys, I'm saying guys, I'm being that, but they were coming in with their girlfriend and they didn't have good credit. They were getting her to sign the credit papers mm. for sign, and she didn't have a license. So it just, it, they were finding, at least the guys at VW were finding their, their, uh, their defaults were much higher in those cases. That's one thing. So they've gone to, you got to have a motorcycle license. You're the buyer, the buyer that's on the papers, the one that's going to be riding it. But uh, I mean, it's a good policy, but I think it really came from an economic point. But I have two, I say VW slash Ducati Finance and... I believe it's Freedom Road Financial now require licenses. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I think, you know, I, I could certainly see as the world of liability changes that uh, um, uh, that that's going to end up being a proviso for for so much, you know, um, you know in talking to Austin Rothbard and the uh, um, Twisted Road rental program, obviously people need to have motorcycle licenses and they, they go through and they evaluate those people. But how cool is it to be able to fly into some random city and be able, be able to like rent somebody's motorcycle, like, sure. like an Airbnb program. And obviously having a license helps you do all that. Uh, Charlie, the one thing, uh, I want to, uh, uh, did you get to visit discover the ride at the international motorcycle shows? Yes, I did. 
Yes, I did, did you get to ride? Did I know I forced Bill to ride a bike? I remember that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but Charlie, did you ride with us? No, but I was watching some of the riders go through that, and the level of excitement that they had, of course, some of these people had never been on a bike before, was uh, was very high. I mean, they were bit. They were clearly bit with the sport. So the point of Discover the Ride to blow our own horn a little bit here is to. Um, is to get people excited at the widest end of the funnel. And we, that is only possible because our friends at Zero Motorcycles um, completely understand that. And what they can do with an electric bike is dial down the torque and the horsepower literally just through the keyboard uh, and make the bike incredibly easy to ride, limited in speed, limited in acceleration, and that sort of thing. So, Charlie, I am going to suggest that with all the leverage you have training over 25,000 people successfully, uh, you know, at, uh, at through your school program is to start to look into electric as a basic, uh, training tool, the basics throttle control. And here's where your handbrake is. Here's where your foot brake is. We'll work on shifting later. Right. Yep. Uh, but I, you I know, think that that's, a, that's a fundamental that. thing that's yeah. going to change motorcycling. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that if, if Harley Davidson actually gets it, they could easily crank out a training, not necessarily a live wire, but a small training mm -hmm. uh, uh, motorcycle that would be durable, that can get people past that initial fear of the throttle before we have to introduce the clutch and things like that. I totally, I totally agree with that. I think that's, yeah, it's a, there's a lot going on with having to, I mean, people don't drive stick shift cars. So now you're putting them on two wheels and you're asking them to shift also, it's kind of results. Yeah, I think know. eventually uh, we are going to be moving towards uh, electric because that's clearly in California, that's the direction that uh, everything is going. Uh, price point for a training sponsor is really important. I mean, right now we uh, we look at bikes that are under $5,000 and it's pretty hard to find uh, an electric yeah. bike with, with that capability under that price. So, uh, you know, I'd be looking for some cooperative relationships with Zero or any other electric companies that would be willing to, uh, you know, bring those bikes in from the standpoint of developing a ridership referral to them. So, in other words, we see people that ride a bike, they want to go out and buy that bike. You know, yes. I could have sold many, many yep. eliminators. Um, so, again, to your point, if you have them on a Zero. Uh, you know, if you make it affordable for me to be able to put that in the training fleet and uh, the riders end up wanting to go to zero, well, you're you're making up for anything that you would have discounted to me. Well, I'm going to make a hairy chested, bold there prediction, you go. bold <laughs> there prediction you go. that at some point there is going to be electric training is going to be the first step for all motorcycle training. And that's that basics of how does the throttle work and how do you find your balance and how do you do it in a safe way? So uh, that's my big prediction for the future uh, like on it. this episode. <laughs> I want to wrap up that's this episode. A, I, I wanna, I'm going to ask both of you guys the same question. I've asked this on every prior um, uh, podcast here. Uh, I'm going to ask the same question of both of you guys. I'll let Bill answer first. Uh, and that is if you were to address every uh, dealer and every brand in the U.S., what's your advice in regards to the dealer environment and, and motorcycle training, Bill? Ooh. There, let's see where we go with that. 
I would say that it's got to be tighter with this. I don't have any imp. I tell you one thing, a couple of times we've had CHP come over here and that was a great day. These guys would stand out here at their bikes. They'd set an easy up and you got to talk to a police officer kind of on neutral ground. I think having some presence in the dealership uh, would be awesome for training. And just the messaging has got to be, if you want to stay with this sport, don't be a dummy, you know, get some training. All right, Charlie, your turn. You got the entire world of power sports in front of you. You've got the microphone. What do you say to him? So there needs to be a refocus on the real safety of the rider uh, from the standpoint of looking at what is it that the rider needs to be able to be safe out there. And that's going to be a combination of right fitting the bike. We do it for size. In other words, for how tall they are, their reach. We need to do it also for the level of skill that they have when they come to us as a dealer. Uh, so the, to me, that's one of the first things. The second thing has to do with always looking to make sure within their current ridership, uh, those that have already been riding for a while, that they get retrained. Uh, there, we know from studies from different organizations, from the from the military to MSF to Total Control, that the more that you train the better writer you are and you make better choices out there on the street. So that's really developing a culture of safety nationwide within the entire industry, not just with the OEs, but also with uh, the training organizations. All um, right, guys. I could, I could actually, let me one, throw in something there too. I thought of it too. Um, we've we've reorient, reoriented ourselves somewhat. We were very much kind of the elitist pro Italia, but we find with the new riders, we talk a lot about getting good gear at the same time. They're getting their motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And we've gone away from stock. Well, we still have $1,000 AGB helmets. We've gone to good quality lines of gear uh, at price points that can be affordable because that gets people excited too. So it's a, for the new riders from a commerce point of view. So, Bill, I totally agree on that. We've got uh, a lot of time that we spend on right, the type of protective gear that you have as a choice not just uh, in, in price, but also in the level of protection, even the kind of writing that you do. So uh, definitely, um, it, that's the entire entire thought of what building a culture of safety is. So sure. uh, yeah. you clearly can, uh, keep on pushing that. I mean, you see uh, a lot of hard Davidson writers now with uh, full face helmets. There's a time when we would have never seen that. So yeah. safety right. is, uh, is, a growing, is a growing item for all of us. So Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the... Uh, I mean, we don't sell open-face helmets. It's kind of just a thing I don't encourage. And uh, I'm excited about the new airbag clothing coming. The price point's coming lower and lower. And I, yeah. think, that's a, I think that's just, it's all good stuff. You know, the bikes are better. Yeah, as a training site. As such. Yeah, as a training site, we don't, uh, we, if you don't have a full-face helmet, we loan you one of ours. So yeah. uh, it's a big difference. Well, go, guys. I want to I want to thank both of you guys for participating uh, in this episode of Center Stand. Uh, we have been talking to Charlie Fernandez from AMO so SoCal. That's the Academy of Motorcycle Operation, amosocal.com, if you want to see what's going on there. And Bill Nation, who's the dealer principal over at Pro Italia Motorcycles. That's Pro Italia Dot com. I want to thank both of you guys for hanging out with us uh, and, uh, and, and chatting today. Um, you guys can listen to all the episodes of Center Stand uh, at continuetheride.com. 
we have a newsletter you can sign up for. That's free. And we dive deeper into the topics that we hit. Um, and then you can also listen to the Reserve Tank podcast, a really fun podcast. Well, it's more on the consumer side of things. Uh, our next episode is going to jump into the world of uh, journalism with two really incredible guests. I'm really looking forward to motorcycle journalism is going to be episode 10 coming up next. Again, I want to thank both Bill and Charlie. We appreciate it. You guys ride safe and we will see everybody down the road.